near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Near-Death Experience Podcast Item number 373, January 4th, 2022. The NDE of a Taiwan University student. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side, as well as the music album, Home, both of which can be found on our website, neardeathexperiencepodcast.org, and then just click on Store, the menu item, Store. Today we're going to share the experience of a Taiwan University student. This is on enderf.org. Okay, the student says, In a split second during the car crash, I entered another dimension. Every time when I mention about death, people will give me a strange look. I've kept silent about my near-death experience for more than 20 years. Nevertheless, what happened that day was so vivid as if it was yesterday. It was then my senior year in Tunghai University, located in Taichung, Taiwan. I lived in a rental apartment near school. At that time, I was an intern of the Social Welfare Department in the city of Taichung, and also worked in a restaurant at night besides going to school. Hence, I rode my moped back and forth several times between school and work every day on Port Taichung Road. It was drizzling, and roads were slippery as I was leaving my intern job in City Hall. I was in a hurry riding in a moped line on Port Taichung Road. Suddenly, I was stopped at a red light. Behind me, to my right side of the road, a long moped line was waiting for the green light to advance. To my left was an island that divided cars and moped traffic. When the red light turned green, I immediately stepped on the gas to reach the highest speed. At that moment, a truck cut through the gap of the island from the car lane illegally, right in front of me. The truck driver took a shortcut in order to park his car off the road by the sidewalk. As I was going to rear-end his truck, I clutched the handbrake. I only heard the sound from the brakes and felt them grabbing while my moped was heading forward at a high speed. If it kept moving forward, then me and my moped would slide underneath the truck. If I turned the wheels to the right... I would be crushed by the mopeds behind me. What should I do? In a split second, I decided to die. I used all my strength to turn the moped 
to 90 degrees and force it to collide on the island with the tall trees planted in the center. However, up to this day, I don't recall any fierce slam of the moped, nor being expelled up into the air. Instead, at that critical moment, a bright scene of another realm appeared. My consciousness was without physical form, but I was in a trance state inside a quiet darkness. Up in the glittering sky, an elegantly falling leaf was dancing in the wind so lively that it was oscillating slowly, descending and whirling, then gradually vanished before my eyes. Subsequently, the earth was enveloped by a dim yellow sky filled with gloomy yellowish dust. In my sight, it was dim, dull, and difficult to distinguish between the above and below regions. Extremely high up, or down to a very edge, was a patch of black. I saw many people with no physical form, and they surrounded something on the ground. I was curious to know why. It was like second nature to me to, that I hovered above these people and floated through them to the ground. I did not notice it back then, though, in fact, I, I was cutting across the crowd. There was a pale-faced girl who lay down in the center of the road. When her half-covered dust-proof mask was lifted off, one side of her head and face were bleeding. I recognized a voice among the crowd saying, She is hopeless, hopeless, you want to bet? I felt pity for this girl, so I helped to take the other half of her mask off. To my surprise, when I reached out to get her mask off, my hand went right through her face. Instantly, I was ejected upward and away from these people. Looked like there was a light in the sky, yet it was not very distinct. Unexpectedly, I came to a totally silent and dark place. It was the purest darkness, though, and it was not like the night on earth. I was immersed in this vastness and quietness, not even feeling any air at all. It was a complete void of nothingness. There was no people or no exits, but only myself in this dark, silent, quiet, empty, and endless state. I do not want to stay here, for I don't know where I am, who I am, and why I'm here. I do not know what to do. What should I do now? How should I do next? Where should I go? I was petrified. While I was worrying, a bright light emerged from afar, and I felt hope. It was a white light in the dark. Then I wondered, what is that? When I thought about that light, I was there right away. I saw a big hand wear a white glove. It looked like a big, wide male hand. The hand was luminous with beautiful, soft, feather-like light. It moved around, directing me to move to the right. I saw nothing behind this hand except for this white glove, and the rest seemed to be hidden in the dark. While looking in front of me, 
There was a dim yellow light emanating from a lantern. It was dangling and flickering far away. I wanted to go there. My thought triggered the motion and I was there already. Standing outside of a door, I saw an ancient Chinese architecture. A trace of yellow hue light illuminated from the door to the interior through a corridor. However, its vicinity was completely dark. I sensed there were gardens and walls. The big white glove appeared to my right side above my head and signaled me to go ahead. I walked into this room where it looked like a boudoir, a woman's private sitting room. There was a desk and a bed hidden in the dark. The only furniture that was in a dim light was the vanity. The white glove gestured for me to sit down. After I sat down, I stared at the vanity, noticing that there was an oval-shaped comb on the top of it. It felt old when I touched it. I fetched and played with the comb. It actually felt solid. An odd, familiar, and nostalgic feeling permeated the air. Momentarily, the white glove swung rapidly, trying to get my attention. I turned to it. Then it soon pointed authoritatively to the mirror. It demanded me to look at the mirror. I watched it immediately. I looked into this bronze mirror. There was a girl in the shadows. So I took a closer look and perceived that half of her face was swollen. Additionally, her right eye was lacerated and bleeding. She tried very hard using her left eye to stare at me. I thought, hmm, isn't this the girl who is lying on the ground? Shouldn't the mirror reflect me? Why does it show her instead? With my suspicion, I touched my face, and so did she. I raised my hand, and she did the same. Oh, no, I am that girl. Perhaps I am her, I thought. I felt a sensation of being electrified, and suddenly I realized the truth. My body was cold as the chill falling onto my face and continued down to my bare, cold feet. I was also annoyed by the noises around me. There was a person who kneeled by the body and kept calling my name. I could not recognize that it was my classmate, who was an intern in the city hall, too. She kept calling my name repeatedly. Slowly, I opened my eyes, glancing the grayish sky as I found myself lying in the middle of the road. And that is the end of this student's account. Okay, so this is a really interesting near-death experience. Um, she gets in an accident in her moped and uh, doesn't recall anything except realizing... it. It's kind of interesting to me. This, this stuck out to me when she's kind of in this split decision moment. If you've ever been really close to a car accident, a, a near miss, um, you'll know that in those split seconds, right before uh, potential impact, it's like your brain speeds up a little bit and you're able to perceive a lot of things very quickly. And um, there, you know, that itself is fairly normal in life-threatening situations. Um, in near-death experiences, sometimes 
that takes on a whole new level where they're seeing and perceiving way more than the human mind can. But, and this doesn't seem to be one of those situations necessarily, but um, the student finds herself um, faced with a decision. Do I run beneath this truck that is coming, you know, and, you know, probably get run over in the process? Do I allow all these mopeds that are zipping behind me to plow me over? What should I do? And as she's deciding this, in the split second, she decides to die. She says, I decided to die. I used all my strength to turn the moped to 90 degrees and forced it to collide on the island with the tall trees planted in the center. Now, I don't know if I understand this setup quite right, but it kind of sounds like it's either hit the truck and, you know, or and however that plays out, have the people behind her hit her, see how that plays out, or this third option that is the most certain death, which is run into the curb there, collide with the island and the tall trees that are there. And that's the one she decides on. She decides, I need to die. No, I don't know if she's thinking, well, I don't want to hurt the people behind me or... Or I don't want to, you know, uh, make this truck driver feel guilty for, you know, killing me or what, you know, whether she's just trying to instantly have the least damage possible or what. I don't know, but, but she does make a decision to die. And she doesn't remember slamming the moped, hitting anything or being expelled in the air. Apparently that happened. I imagine they told her about it after the fact. But the moment she decides to die, a bright scene of another realm appeared. Now, there is something about this decision. It's, it reminds me of when people are at that moment of, of the greatest panic or the greatest pain, where they finally just let go, where they give up, where they say, okay, I, I will stop trying so hard to hold on. And they just relax, let it go. This is kind of the other extreme where it's like, okay, time to die. It's over. And at that moment, she leaves this realm and she's on the other side. And everything else that happens to her body, she is completely not there for it. And I emphasize that a little bit to offer a little bit of hope to those who have lost loved ones to terrible accidents where they died, you know, at the scene of the accident. And sometimes even, you know, minutes later and people think, oh, they were alive for a while. Were they in pain for those minutes? I think it's unlikely. Not just because an unconscious person rarely feels pain, but uh, also because it seems that at that moment where death is inevitable, more often than not, people leave their bodies. And their body may continue to live or not, but um, regardless, that seems to be a pattern. They just leave. They know they're dead, so they leave. I suspect in a car accident that is where you just don't even see them coming, you don't even see the headlights in the windshield as something slams into the side of your car. In those kind of cases, it's taken by surprise so much that you may not even realize it's happening and therefore maybe that moment of giving up doesn't happen and you know they're knocked unconscious or whatever before even 
having a split second to think about it. And of course, there are the examples of fear death experiences where somebody has a close brush with death, but instead of, in, and while they don't have any physical injury, they instantly are impelled, or, you know, drawn into the near death experience and so forth. Um, I think there's a connection here, you know, this moment of death draws people out of their bodies and so forth. Anyway, I just say that because any, if any of you are worried about the suffering of loved ones, the body may continue to scream, lash, or otherwise react while the spirit has already left. That seems strange and people may say, what? But that seems to be the case fairly commonly in near-death experiences and therefore probably at the very moments of final death as well. I think it's fair to suggest. Okay, so she finds herself now in this other realm. And her description at first of this realm is very interesting. Uh, she says, my consciousness was, was without physical form. So I'm gathering from that that she is in this conscious intelligence state. Um, but she says, but I was in a trance state inside a quiet darkness. Upon or up in the glittering sky, an elegantly falling leaf was dancing in the wind so lively that it was oscillating slowly, descending and whirling, then gradually vanished before my eyes. So she sees this leaf falling. And I almost gather from this that this is some kind of symbolic, would you say a vision or is she actually seeing it? I think it's kind of the same thing in this, in this uh, situation, or that it doesn't matter whether this is an actual leaf in the spirit world she's seeing, or whether it is something being shown to her as a vision of some sort. Um, I, it doesn't much matter. I suspect that there is something symbolic about it, perhaps something intended to draw her attention, something like that. Anyway. Um, so she then finds herself in the void, this black, black, black void. And this is that void that many people find themselves in, which seems to be a waiting place or a transitional place. It is not a final destination. And those who find themselves in this state pretty much always find their way out. Sometimes they'll wake up before they get to that point, but most of the time they, they simply discover a light or they may, you know, ask a question to God or to the universe and, or they may even expect to see a light and at that moment of expectation the light appears, something like that. Anyway, she does find herself facing the light. Though actually, now that I'm looking at it closely, it looks like I'm getting this in the slightly wrong order. She, uh, she sees this strange leaf um, oscillating, descending slowly. Then she sees basically her body on the ground with people around. And without even thinking twice about it, she floats through them to get to where she can see the girl. And they are saying it's hopeless. She's, she's gone kind of thing, you know, and, and so forth. Um, but the moment that she reaches out to help her get her mask off, 
Her hand goes right through the girl's face, which of course is her own body, and, uh, and she is instantly ejected upward and away from these people. Um, she said it looked like there was a light in the sky, it was not very distinct, but then she finds herself in the void at that point. And while most of this seems pretty traditional of near-death experience, maybe with the, you know, exception of the leaf falling, um, things get kind of interesting after that, because once a light appears, this bright light appears from the darkness while she's kind of worrying, where should she go, what should she do? Uh, and out of this light, there is this gloved white hand. It, it says a big hand, and just, she describes it as a male hand, but it seems to be this gloved hand. And I don't know if she means big as in a large man's hand, or that it's big, like, you know, the size of her, this single hand or something. Well, I, I'm not sure. She's not clear on that. But, but it seems to be directing her. And so she looks in the direction that it is um, directing her, and she sees this yellow light emanating from a lantern, which she's very curious about. She wants to go there. The moment she thinks of wanting to go there, she's already there. And she sees this Chinese architecture. Now remember, she is from Taiwan, so this would be uh, familiar to her, this type of architecture. And she goes in this corridor and finds, you know, she has this sense that there are gardens and walls nearby, finds herself in this room, a sitting room. And she's interested in the vanity and she's, you know, holding the brush. She's kind of taken by the fact that it felt solid. I am left to wonder at this point Maybe she is in the spirit body form because, you know, if you were to reach for something and your hand didn't extend, you didn't see anything extending, even if you felt like you were extending it, would you actually grab something and, and uh, feel the solidness of it? I don't know. But uh, I bet by now she is seeing herself as if in a spirit body form. And then she describes this brush is feeling solid and there's something familiar and nostalgic about the feeling and um, this is where things get really odd you might say she's directed by this hand this gloved hand to look in the mirror and when she looks in the mirror she sees a girl there who has all these injuries and as she moves her own hand and so forth and and the reflection copies what she's doing, it becomes clear that that is her. And she seems quite shocked by this fact. And I find that so interesting. Would she not recognize her own reflection immediately? Perhaps the injuries might be surprising, like, whoa, what happened to me? But she doesn't even seem to recognize her own reflection. Now, it's possible that this is, that she's so badly, um, injured, that the injuries are so uh, swollen and and cut and so forth that it's pretty much unrecognizable anyway, even if she was immortal. So that's a possibility. Another possibility is just that, that 
sense of unfamiliarity with the mortal that sometimes people will have. I'm not sure what she's experiencing here. Either way, she does seem shocked that that's her. And in this moment of electrifying truth of that being her and that she is supposed to be on earth in that body, she suddenly finds herself there and it takes her a bit to realize what's going on, but she can hear a friend from her, you know, classmate from um, City Hall, her voice calling her and she finds herself opening her eyes to the grayish sky above her. Now, why was she directed to this room to see a mirror? Maybe that's why she was directed. She needed to see this person, recognize it was her. So it would remind her, you are supposed to be in the mortal form and as a way of saying, go back. And there's lots of ways that people are called back. This is just kind of a unique one that way. But yet it's very interesting. And lest this sound like something of a little bit of a frightening story in some way, or, or you know, like some kind of nightmare type of, you know, realization and so forth, she seems very calm about everything. Everything is very comfortable. And she is shocked at the realization that this is her and so forth, but not, not in a horror type of a sense, more of, of a... She says, oh, no, I am that girl. Perhaps I am her. And then she's beginning to feel the uh, sensation of being in her body again. It's starting to come back. And, and it's like she's kind of shocked out of this re that realm that she's in at that realization. Again, it reminds me a little bit of that scene in, uh, in Somewhere in Time when he you know, looks at the penny and suddenly is sucked back into the present. That seems to be about what people are experiencing as they come back to their body, which generally is a very difficult experience coming back. It's the being there that, where the joy is and so forth. It's the coming back when fear and, and, and the you know, terror of death seem to return. It's, it's only in the coming back. The dying itself, there doesn't seem to be any fear, any trauma, so to speak. Curiosity, lots of curiosity, but no fear, no doom or terror. So very interesting experience. Now, before we close today, and this may make the podcast episode last quite a bit longer, and I apologize if you're getting tired of hearing my voice. <laughs> but uh, I did want to share a listener email. Now, I have not talked to the listener to ask their permission if I could share this, so I'm not going to share the name of the listener. But I thought the question was so, um, so well worded and so, you know, it's such a great question that I thought I'd share it today. So um, this listener says, Hi, John and Chaz. I've been listening to the podcast for a while now, and I really appreciate the stories that you read and the insights, uh, insight that is given. Sometimes I rely on them for hope that life continues after death. I did have a question that has been on my mind lately that I was hoping you could give your opinion. 
a lot of time, uh, near-death experiencers are told they have to return to Earth because they have work to do. When little kids are abused and left to die with no help, is this part of the work that they were meant to do on Earth? Or was the work they were really meant to do tragically cut short due to senseless violence and the cruel actions of others? This has been weighing heavily on my mind, and I'd appreciate any insight you could share. Okay, well, first off, thank you for the to the listener for uh, sending this. This is such, such a great question, and one that uh, is not easy to answer. But um, I'm going to read my response, because I, I think it will do better than me ad-libbing, because <laughs> I had to kind of think about how to respond and, and kind of craft it a little bit in order to, you know, make sense of what I was trying to express. So I'm going to go ahead and read my answer. I said, thanks for contacting us. It's good to hear that the program is making a difference for good. Your question is an excellent one. I wish I had a definitive answer. I don't, but I do have some thoughts on the topic. For one thing, it appears that suffering is seen in a very different light there than it is here. There is a level of spiritual growth and expansion that seems to come from suffering that is something like a crash course in godlike love that can't be obtained in any other way. While here it may simply seem painful, relentless, senseless, but on the other side there are lessons that go so deep and carry so much meaning and purpose that it would be impossible for us to fully comprehend it here. That's a bit of a cop-out answer, I know, since it doesn't really address what those lessons are. But that leads me to some other thoughts on the topic. Betty J. Eady had a remarkable NDE, and in the midst of her expansive experience, with a guide at her side, described the following incident. Quote, Coming to Earth is much like selecting a college or choosing a course of study. We are all at various levels of spiritual development, And we have come here in the stations that best suit our spiritual needs. The minute we judge others for their faults or shortcomings, we are displaying a similar shortcoming in ourselves. We don't have the knowledge to judge people accurately here. As if to illustrate this principle for me, the heavens scrolled back and I saw the earth again. This time my vision focused on a street corner in a large city. There I saw a man lying in a drunken stupor on the sidewalk near a building. One of my guides said, What do you see? Why, a drunken bum lying in his wallow, I said, not understanding why I had to see this. My guides became excited. They said, Now we will show you who he really is. His spirit was revealed to me, and I saw a magnificent man, full of light. Love emanated from his being, and I understood that he was greatly admired in the heavens. This great being came to earth as a teacher to help a friend that he had spiritually bonded with. His friend was a prominent attorney who had an office a few blocks away from this corner. Although the drunk now had no recollection of this agreement with his friend, his purpose was to be a reminder to him of the needs of others. I understood that the attorney was naturally compassionate, but seeing the drunk, 
would spark him to do more for those who needed his means. I knew that they would see each other, and the attorney would recognize the spirit within the drunk, the man within the man, and be moved to do much good. They would never know their covenanted roles here, but their missions would be fulfilled nonetheless. The drunk had sacrificed his time on earth for the benefit of another. His development would continue, and other things he might need for progression would be given him later. Obviously, a child's suffering is going to be quite different than the drunken bums, but it does illustrate the point that sometimes the service we render on earth is much different than we might expect. Certainly, we should seek to do all the good we can while we're here on earth. But only God can see what is actually taking place. And one day, he'll show us, too. I'm under the impression that any good person trying to do the right thing, children are undoubtedly included in this, is never taken before their time. Whether those whose lives are cut off at birth shortly after or whatever, will have another opportunity to come back again and live a fuller life, I don't know, but I consider it quite possible. As to the question of the purpose in suffering in general, we did an episode a few years ago that you might find interesting. I then uh, linked the listener to the uh, episode number 25, Purpose in Suffering, and then I continued Thanks again for reaching out to us. Let me know if these thoughts don't reflect what you're asking. I do sometimes misinterpret the intent of questions that come our way. I would love to hear any thoughts or insights you get from your own thoughts. I have long learned to never underestimate the thoughts of someone who has marinated in a tough question for a long time. Sometimes some of the greatest insights that come to people on earth come from long periods of wrestling, questioning, praying, meditating, and studying a topic. Stay in touch. God bless you. And that is the end of my response. I just wanted to share that in case others have the same question or similar questions and and hope that you can find some kind of of meaning in in the suffering that either you or your loved ones uh, maybe experience, or at least if nothing else, the hope of there being meaning behind it. And with that, thank you again, all of you, for listening. Chaz and I thank you for listening to Near Death Experience Podcast. You can reach out to your hosts by using Chaz, C-H-A-S, at ndepodcast.org and John, J-O-H-N, at ndepodcast.org. You can text or call the show at 970-633-2278. That's 970-NDE-CAST. Calling allows you to record your message in three-minute increments. If your message runs longer than three minutes, just call back and we can splice the segments together. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching NDE Podcast on those sites and join our Facebook NDE Podcast community. Please leave feedback for the show on iTunes or via whatever application you use to listen to us. 
Doing so will allow our audience to grow and help spread the knowledge about spiritually transformative experiences to more listeners. You can help keep the show financially viable by purchasing Chaz's music or his book under the store link on the ndepodcast.org website or by going to patreon.com slash ndepodcast where you can make a one-time only donation or become an ongoing supporter. Whether you decide to write or call us or you choose to support the show either financially or by writing a review or by listening and sharing us with others, we are so humbly thankful for you. We can't begin to express how much touching you spiritually means to us. Chaz and I thank you for joining us. We hope you keep listening and applying the understanding you gain from the show about your existence after this earthly life so you have a better life right now. And to love one another. This is your host, John Messer, reminding you that it's all about attitude and gratitude. And our attitude should always be love.